Well, we're going to look again this week at uh, the thought of Moses being the role model for the church. And last week we were considering how God brought deliverance to Israel and was bringing it and it came through the, the power and the judgments that he poured out upon Egypt. And Israel had to endure a work that was taking place in their midst, in their lives. Uh, but God was bringing them out of Egypt to his holy mountain. And, you know, we considered last week one of the methods that the enemy tried to use to uh, prevent that deliverance or to stop at hindrance was striving. You know, we, you know, striving in, in the sense of doing things in our own strength. And, you know, we can stop our forward momentum in the Christian life when we start to strive. And we do things in our own strength, in our own wisdom. And the key to overcoming striving is, as we considered, was being like Mary and sitting at the feet of Jesus and just receiving what he gives, what he says, how he leads his direction, his grace and will and, and so forth. But this week, I just wanted to consider another tactic of the enemy as he is seeking to hinder us from gaining deliverance, from overcoming and, and walking in our way, running our race. Because, you know, as Moses was trying to, to bring deliverance to Israel, Pharaoh was not sitting idly by, but he was actively trying to hinder that. And one of the ways he did that was by trying to negotiate with Moses the terms of the release. And so he came up with several ways of compromise, of trying to get them to compromise how they would go out. Of course, the, the compromise was all on the part of Israel, you know, that, and that's how it is with the enemy. He, he never compromises, it's, just, it's always us. And there were four offers of compromise that Pharaoh made to Moses. But as we consider them, we, we can realize they speak to us um, because, as believers because we want to recognize that the spirit of this world represented by Pharaoh, you know, they would try to ensnare us by causing us to add or subtract a few things to our faith, thereby bringing a form of compromise that causes us to, to not be able to run our race effectively. And really what it's trying to do is keep us connected to Egypt or the world, so to speak. And so, you know, there were these four areas. The first one is that Pharaoh proposed that the Israelites would worship the Lord in the land of Egypt, right? Why do you have to go somewhere? Why, why don't you just worship him here? You can have a celebration and all that and just stay here. And he said that in Exodus 8.25, he called for Moses and Aaron and he said, go sacrifice to your God in the land, meaning in Egypt. And really this kind of represents uh, Satan urging the redeemed to stay in the land, or you could say stay in Egypt or the world. Uh, and this is the snare that some believers can fall into of trying to serve the Lord while staying in the world in the sense of maintaining their old ways, their old lifestyle, friends, relationships, and habits, and so forth. But the problem with that is is when that kind of compromise takes place 
instead of being conformed to Christ, we can be conformed to the world. Uh, and that happens because the ways of Christ are incompatible with the ways of the world, right? Because, you know, the ways of the world always brings a compromise in our moral values, right? In, in the ways of Christ, the moral values of Christ are incompatible with the world. And as Christ said, uh, no man can serve two masters. Right? That was Matthew 6, 24. But also, as Paul said in, in Romans 12 and verse 2, he said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you could prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. And, and so truly coming to Christ and following him, it means a mind and a life that is being transformed. Now, we're always on the process. You know, we're never at that place. I am transformed, right? but we're, we're on the, the journey anyway. And Hopefully by the end, we're pretty transformed. We're, that's our goal, our hope. But yet, as we follow Christ, we're being transformed to his way, conformed to his way, so that in reality, we are becoming living proof of the good, acceptable, and perfect, complete will of God. Not just our words, but our, our life. And so, of course, Moses said, no, we're not staying in Egypt. The second one is he proposed that Israelite, Israelites could leave Egypt, but not go very far. You know, don't, don't leave the neighborhood. You know, don't go too far away. And so he said at Exodus 8, 28, and he said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Now, on the outward, there's a change. He's right? saying, okay, you can go, but really he's saying, don't go too far away, or, or maybe we could understand it. Don't go too deep into that spiritual walk. Stay close. And, and re really what he's saying is you can go, but don't lose your attachment to Egypt. Stay close. You know, that's what happened to Demas, who we read about in the New Testament that Paul talked about. And he actually seemed to come farther than most, right? I mean, because he was described as a fellow laborer beside the Apostle Paul, which is kind of a high praise in that sense. But he never fully detached himself from the attraction of the world, and eventually it lured him back in the end. And, and Paul said this in, in 2 Timothy 4.10. He said, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he departed. You know, the enemy knows that if part of our heart is still back in Egypt, then he really still has us, you know, wherever we are, because he can pull on those strings that are still connected. And so we have to break those ties to Egypt in our heart. The third uh, compromise, area of compromise, it, he proposed, I won't read this section, this was a little bit longer, but basically he proposed that, okay, the Israelites could leave, they could go wherever they wanted, but only the men, right? So the women and children had to stay in Egypt, the family had to stay in Egypt. And, you know, really that, that's a message for us is that the enemy is coming for the family, for the family structure. You know, he does, it's, it's okay if people can be separated and on their own, but 
you know, in the in a family, there's strength. And so, you know, the enemy is coming for the family, especially children. I just read a horrible headline. I won't get into the other day, but just how the enemy is coming after children. Uh, they want to control the family structure. Um, but in the way of God's kingdom, you know, he wants leaders in the family. We are to be protectors of our family. And this can apply, I, I think, in two main ways that we can look at it, maybe a few other ones. But all right, as I think we can understand parents are called to, to be leaders in the family, but not just in the natural, but as leaders in Christ in order to lead the next generation into the things of the ways of God and coming to know him and serving him. And like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He didn't just say, as for me, I don't know about my wife and kids, but as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. Now, before, when you stand before the throne, that's all you can say, Lord, I have served you. But he might ask you, what, a, what about your family? As for me and my house, you know, that's, that's the role of the leaders, of parents in, in the family. But then there's, a, there's another aspect in that because there's the burden of the family that can come upon certain ones. You know, and, and you know, we've met people who they are literally the only pe- one in their family who is saved and has come to Christ. Or maybe the only one in their family who's following the Lord. And, of course, the enemy would have us give up all hope, right? Uh, you're never going to lead them to Christ. You're never going to, nothing's ever going to happen. It's just you who's saved and so forth. And he would have, have, you know, not allow us to have a burden for our family. But, you know, we have this wonderful aspect of what took place in Egypt that's a part of the Passover promise. You know, Israel was to prepare a lamb for a house. And I love how the Lord phrased that. He didn't just say, put blood upon individuals. He said it was to be a lamb for a house. Now, I, I believe and I'm convinced that there is great power in believers who are interceding for their family and for their family members and whatever form that is. Now, there's power in that because he gives a lamb for a house. Now, ultimately, everyone has to make their own decision, right? We're going to stand before the throne on our own, right? We can't stand because mom and dad are there or someone else who was saved. Oh, he was, you know, they were saved. And so, I, you know, I'm related. Does that get me in? No. But it gives us hope that when, when we intercede for our family, God gives ear to that. And perhaps he'll have mercy because of that. Because he, gives a lamb, he gave a lamb for a house. Now the fourth area of compromise with Pharaoh and you know, with Satan in the world is he proposed for the Israelites to leave Egypt you know, okay, all right, you can take everyone. Go, but leave your flocks and herds. They stay. I don't know why he even brought that up. That doesn't even make sense. But, but, and so he said in Exodus 10, 24, Pharaoh called, Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go, 
serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and herds stay, and your little ones can go too. But all your possessions are going to stay here. You know, the enemy would love nothing better than for us to come to church on Sunday and have nothing to give, at least of, of substance, because all of our time and energy and, and our, our thoughts and you know, our devotion is tied up in the affairs of this world, of this life. Now, it doesn't mean we're, we're not to be good stewards, right? We have to you know, be wise and pay our bills and so forth. But we are in great danger if we allow ourselves to be consumed by those things. It's like having all of our possessions tied up in Egypt. And when we go to worship the Lord, we don't have anything to offer Him. And, you know, really, all of these areas that we just touched on, these areas of, of compromise, they're kind of coming down to one thing. It's what we value. It's what we value. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so these, these compromises of Satan trying to offer something and, and so forth, they're really, you know, it's like that term bait and switch. He's offering you something that sounds good, but then when you get there, you really find out, oh, this is a piece of junk. It's, 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 not, what, it's not what it was made out to be like, right? And so he's promising something nice and shiny or easy or convenient a lot, that allows us to feel good for a time. But when we really start walking in that way, we realize how empty it is. And before we know it, you know, if, for those who subscribe to those compromises before you know it, they become like a, a leaky vessel or the cisterns, the broken cisterns that Jeremiah talked about that constantly have to be filled because they, all, all the water leaks away. It leaks out. What we need to combat the, you know, these compromises of the enemy is we need a change of our perspective of value. We need to learn to value and account according to the perspective of heaven. And I've actually entitled this message, uh, kind of uh, an interesting title, it's The Math of Heaven. The Math of Heaven. Because the enemy would have us think that one plus zero equals two. Or, or actually, maybe it's one plus negative one equals two. Right? Because he, he wants to, to put things in our lives that will detract from the way of God and from the life of the Spirit. It will subtract. You know, but throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, actually, God is, is constantly trying to convince His people to look at our lives in a different way than we see with our natural eyes and to count the pathway he's, he's leading us in and the experiences he's taking us through as having great value in the kingdom of God. Now, Pastor Jason mentioned in the Bible study on Thursday, um, you know, some of these verses, looking at James, we read James chapter 1 and verse 2, where he says, my brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy. 
when you fall into diverse or various temptations or trials. Now, we have to think about that. Trials equals joy? Not according to my math. All right, that's a different math than we're accustomed to, than we normally think in, in those ways. And, and it's actually at a different level too. It's kind of like you know, we're thinking of addition and subtraction, and that's jumping all the way to algebra for, for the difference. But we have to learn in the kingdom of God a new way of counting, a new value system of what matters in eternity. Because when we follow that way, it leads to abundant life. And if we do, there's an outcome that James says. According to, to James in, in verses 3 and 4, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, if we know this, if we do it, that the trying of our faith works patience, and then if we let patience have her perfect work, you'll be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. You see, when we learn to count according to God's perspective, and when we allow patience or allow the work of patience to take place, that's when we're made complete, lacking nothing. Now, with Israel, we know God got them out of Egypt, but in, the, in their journey, they, he never got Egypt out of them. It always remained there. Those areas of compromise kind of took hold in their heart. And that generation, they could never make the switch right, on their journey. They kept coming to, back to what they valued, and it was tied to Egypt. Oh, the food. Oh, we had plenty of these certain things, and now we're lacking. Oh, we had all the water we could, we could want because of the the river Nile there and so forth. And, you know, we didn't have to walk all day and travel and live in tents and, you know, all those things. And, of course, they were conveniently forgetting all the bad, right? All their, their toil and sweat and trouble and the whips and all that. But that's often what happens when you reminisce about the good old days, right? You remember the good and not the other stuff. But, but you know, the Apostle Paul he has a remarkable number of references to how we should count these situations in our lives, how we should view them and understand them. And, but I, I think it was because when he was young, he counted a certain way as, va as being valuable. And to his horror, he came to the realization he was actually accomplishing the opposite. He thought he was pursuing holiness when in reality his actions were an abomination to God in persecuting believers. But it opened his eyes to see how he needed to think and what he needed to value in the kingdom of God to where he could make statements like this. In Philippians 3 and verse 9, he said, Doubt, he said doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. 
And so to follow Christ, Paul was willing to suffer the loss of certain things. And he did. I mean, he suffered in his reputation, right, among his former peers, the Pharisees. He lost an easy life. Uh, you know, he gained a harder one. And he lost a, a piece of the prominence and the, the, the amount, certain amount of protection from persecution by being on the outside instead of the inside. You know, he lost uh, his liberty in exchange for beatings and stonings and, and such and stripes. And, you know, we've read his list of hardships that he went through of hunger and thirst and persecutions and storms and shipwrecks and all that. But he counted everything he had given up, his comfort, his reputation, his easy life, he counted it as the lowest thing in this life, dung, as something unclean for what he was going to receive from God compared to winning Christ, right? to gaining the position of having done his will. And it's a radical change of thinking but it, it really represents a change of reality of how we value things in this life. You know, that, that, it, that, that what matters is not what we gain in life, but what we gain in the life to come and in eternity. You know, another place in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is contemplating trouble that's going to come, he says this in Acts 20 and 24, he says, but none of these things move, move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry that I've received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And so here is what Paul counted as most important, finishing his course with joy. Nothing else mattered or came close to him. You know, of course, that, that meant testifying of Jesus and the gospel before many people, even if it meant threats of imprisonment and suffering and so forth. Yeah, and really, that's the place we have to come through, come to. You know, not the threat of imprisonment, hopefully. Uh, but it's the math of this life that nothing moves us. Nothing moves us from that position of Lord. I just rejoice that I have the privilege of doing your will, of walking in this pathway, of obeying you, and allowing your will to be done in my life and through my life. You know, for Israel in the wilderness, they were moved by the thought of their old life because they were still connected to Egypt. And they always compared it to their trials and so forth. Just like Demas was moved from his position of being a fellow laborer with the Apostle Paul, you know, because he thought, oh, the things of the world, they still look pretty nice. And eventually his eyes just got so fixed on them that he walked, right, walked away from everything. But he had his eyes on things with a different level of value than the Apostle Paul had. And of course, we have you know, Paul's statement of, of purpose that was written about three or four years before his death. And in Philippians 3.13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended or have taken possession or have accomplished 
what I need to do. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I reach forth to those which are before and I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so even after attaining so much in the Christian life of, you know, starting churches and writing letters and, you know, raising up many works, establishing doctrine, what counted most of all to him was just finishing well, crossing the finish line in a way that he would receive the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. And so, you know, we can see in these verses how the Apostle Paul, time and again, he just demonstrates a different way of viewing life that can be instructive to us because he counted what had true value and he discounted everything else or at least put it in its proper place. It's not that we throw everything away, but we recognize this has a place in my life, but it's not going to go one millimeter more than it needs to be. But, you know, to close this message, we can come back to our, our main character of Moses because he made, <clears throat> he made a similar evaluation right, as a summary of his life. In Hebrews eleven twenty four, and we've read this at the, kind of the beginning of the series, but it says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You know, in Egypt, he was in a position to receive the best that life could possibly offer him. He had made it, right? He had his ticket to a good life. But he refused that because he did the math. And he realized if he chose that way, he'd be coming up short in eternity. In fact, he'd be poor. And it, it, it led to poverty. But he saw another pathway, a pathway that had value, right? of following the plan of the master that would lead to true riches. And so... Because of that, he was, able to, he was able to endure the hardships of his journey because his eyes were on the reward of Christ. And, of course, a part of his reward is he's now standing before the Lord of the whole earth for all eternity. And who knows what the Lord has prepared for each of us because no eye is seen and no ear is heard and it hasn't entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him, who wait upon him, who follow him to the end. But we recognize that the enemy is seeking to bring compromise constantly throughout our journey, right? And in the process of vic getting victory and deliverance and overcoming, as he did with Israel, he'll try to do with us. What will ensure our victory? It's obtained as we learn to count according to the value of heaven, the math of heaven. And as we learn to see and embrace what truly matters of doing the will of God, of not counting our life dear, of pressing toward the mark, of counting it all as joy, 
to pick up our cross and to follow him, then we can experience what the Apostle Paul prayed for his people. And I'll close with this, these verses. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verses 11 and 12, it says, Paul prayed that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we look to you today. Lord, we're crying out to you that, that Lord, you would bring about a transformation. Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be conformed unto you and to your way of thinking. Lord, to, to what is valued in heaven. Lord, we ask that you would help us to put everything in its place that's of this earth. Lord, that, that what would be worth, to, worth have the greatest worth to us would be doing your will and walking in the way of your kingdom. Oh Lord, we just pray that you would help us to learn these lessons, Lord, and that we would look to you and that, Lord, the greatest thing in our life would be following you unto the very end and that that would be our joy and our rejoicing. Oh, and we look to you for it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.